last week, Ken was preaching and reminding us that the glories, the, the, the hope, the, the, the reality is as Christians, we already have heaven. We already have citizenship in something that is far greater and far superior to anything that we can find here. The only problem is, is that we continue to try to find our hope here, don't we? I was reading somewhere and I came across this analogy. The, the, the sad reality is, is that too many Christians live like gluttonous kings. Constantly trying to feed ourselves, seeking to find joy in the court jester. As soon as the song and dance is done, we're no longer entertained, and we try to find something else to feed our joy and our life. So where is our hope? Where is our joy? Where is our peace? Pray that we would look at that and find it this morning. And for those of you who have already found it in Christ, I pray you'd be reminded to not look for it somewhere else. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your goodness and kindness. Thank you, Lord, for for meeting us where we are and providing us with everything that we need. You are sufficient. You are infinitely worthy of all praise and glory and honor. But more than that, Lord, you are infinitely worthy of our continual pursuit of you. Lord, help us to not see it as a chore, but rather let us see it as the pursuit of joy. Because in you, we are satisfied. In you, we are refreshed. And we pray that we would come again and again and again and again to you. Be with us this morning, Lord, as we come to your word that you, through your spirit, would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see it and that we would be drawn to it and we would be radically transformed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I want you to flip over to Philippians chapter four. We're gonna be looking at verses two through seven. Philippians chapter four, verses two through seven. We read these words from Paul. I entreat you, ye, sorry, Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I just want to note one little thing here before we dive down into this text as Paul is writing this letter to these Christians in this church. You might be shocked that he is naming people like, whoa, he said their names. I want to point out here, there are other times where Paul is saying folks' names and it's usually in a very negative light. These people were against me. But in this situation, he's saying their names out of care and love. I love these women. Help them. He says, help them, true companion. We don't know who the true companion is. It could also be translated true yoke fellow. It seems that it's an individual, but it could be written to all of the church as followers of Christ. Help these ones. So, what does he want them to do? Well, if you've been with us as we've been working through this book of Philippians, Paul has been saying over and over and over and over again, rejoice, 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 rejoice. And then he comes here to what the Christian faith begins at, where it starts. Rejoice in the Lord. Think about that. Why did you become a Christian? Probably because you saw the glory of Christ, your need for him, and you rejoiced. And you said, I want more of that. I need more of that. And so the Christian faith begins with rejoicing. Yet you, you see your sin, but you see your sin in light of the glory and the grace of God. And you rejoice. I think that we, we, we kind of sell ourselves short. We, we, we kind of propagate this Christian faith that is this somber, serious faith. Now, I'm I'm not saying that rejoicing in the Lord always turns into these big plastic smiles and that we are laughing constantly, but Christians should laugh. Don't take yourself so serious. You're really not that big. You're really not that important. And God laughs at you all the time. So let's laugh at each other. Let's, let's have joy in the Lord. And Paul writes here, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Not in circumstances. Not in our spouse. Not even in missional success. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. There's no loopholes. There's no exceptions. We have to remember as Paul is penning this, his life literally is hanging in the balance of a man's decision, whether he will live or die. He is in prison. He sends this letter off. It's filled with joy. It's filled with rejoicing. It's filled with celebratory things. And he might die. The apostle Paul is saying, I won't surrender. I won't give up. I will fight for joy. 
Come hell or high water. Nevertheless, Paul says, rejoice. In what? In the Lord. I think the, the problem often is, is we rejoice in the wrong things. Instead of rejoicing in the Lord, in Jesus, we rejoice in the things we think Jesus is going to get us. I rejoice in what you give me. Now just think about this. Whether you're married or not, imagine you went up to your spouse and you said, I love that you do and you do this list of things, but nothing that you love is the actual person. I don't think they would walk away thinking, well, that was encouraging. That person really loves me. No, they, they love the stuff I give them. They love the stuff I do for them. They love what they get from me. And what Paul is trying to drive our focus to again and again is don't love the things Jesus gives you. All of those things are meant to point you back to him. Love him. Rejoice in him. One of my all-time favorite verses is Romans 8.32. He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also give us all things? Why do I love that verse? Because Paul, again, in writing to Romans, is saying, God gave you Jesus. And if he has given you Jesus, he will give you Everything that you need. And how do you know that he will give you everything that you need? Because he already did it. He already gave you everything you need because he gave you Jesus. That's why we rejoice in him. Jesus is our joy. And whether you find sickness overcoming your body or relational tension bringing conflict in your life, or you are passed over for the promotion, or when your team doesn't win the game, or when you are abandoned at the altar, or when the tire is flat on the car and you are already late for work, guess what? You already have everything that you need. So rejoice. I know that's hard. Because I have walked out of my house and found a flat tire and the first thing out of my mouth wasn't, praise Jesus. <laughs> but we have to remember, even in those moments, God hasn't forsaken us. He's actually using these situations, these difficult things to draw us back to him where we will find joy and peace and rest amidst the flat tire, amidst all these things. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't abandoned you. We are commanded to rejoice in the Lord. We need to remind ourselves again and again of this. The reality is, is you don't deserve God. You don't. In sin, in rebellion, you fought and you fleed and you ran and you cursed him. But out of love and grace, Jesus comes and does what you could not do. He did it. He was obedient. He was faithful. Followed all the things that were asked of him by his father in heaven 
to the point of dying on a cross, not because he deserved to die, but because you did. How do you remember that and not rejoice? You can't, unless, of course, you're not saved. If you're not saved, you won't have reason to rejoice in the Lord. You're still trying to find joy somewhere else, and I pray that today would be the last day that you seek joy in false fleeting things, and instead today you would say, I'm finding joy, but it's there for a moment, and then it's, it's like trying to hold water in my hands, and it, it's gone. Where's this joy that we're supposed to have? And I pray that the conviction of the Spirit would fall upon you, and you would say, I can't keep doing this. You're saying joy's found in the Lord? Yes. God came, died on a cross for your sins, for your rebellion, so that his righteousness would be poured upon those who would put their faith in him and him alone, so that when God looks at you, he no longer says sinner, he says beloved. Isn't there joy when you hear that? I'm, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I'm addicted, I struggle with these things, I'm mad sometimes, I do the wrong things, you're beloved. Isn't there joy there? And this is what Paul is trying to draw us to again and again and again, rejoice in the Lord. Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples. Do you remember this in Luke 20? He sends them out to preach the gospel, to go out. And I love it because they don't even really know who Jesus is. They don't really understand the whole gospel. But he says, go and proclaim the good news to these different cities, these different villages. And they return and they're excited and they're like, Jesus, we did this and and we saw this happen. and, And all these amazing things were occurring. And Jesus says to them, I saw Satan fall from the skies. And then he looks at him and says, you're going to do some amazing things. But here's the best part. Jesus says, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice that the Satan fell from the skies. Those things are nothing. I love this. What should they rejoice in, Jesus says? Rejoice that your name's are written in heaven. Do you get what Jesus just said there? It is more amazing that your name, Christian, is written in heaven than Satan being cast down. What? Jesus says, rejoice in that. Your salvation is greater than that. You never read in any of the scriptures that the angels celebrate when the devil is cast out of heaven, but yet the angels peer in eager anticipation at the redemption that Christ is working out, and the angels celebrate when a single soul is saved and rejoices in the Lord. Isn't that like... I've been reading the Bible for a while, and that just hit me this week as I was preparing for this, like... What? We have so much to rejoice in. When we dwell in this joy in the Lord, our hearts and our minds 
are open to God because we want more of him because we find joy in him. When we dwell in this joy, our hearts and minds and our lives are open to what he will do in our life because Jesus, we can rejoice in all circumstances. We must rejoice because it doesn't matter what's happening. We always have him. And when we set our gaze upon Christ and the grace and the work that he has finished, how can we not rejoice? It's a necessity of the Christian life. We have to rejoice. We have to. Look at what he has done. How can we not rejoice? Rejoicing does something. It changes us. When we rejoice in the Lord, rejoicing grows gentleness. When we truly know who Christ is and what he has done and who we are now that we are in him, when we truly trust in all of these things, it frees us to be gentle. I'm going to point out something here that probably is the truth, but I'm going to just say it just so you know. This isn't always an automatic happens in an instant. We grow in gentleness. Maybe you're like me and you're just like, well, God made us blunt. And so that's just how we're made. No. He's working in you. He's growing you to be gentle. He's growing you to be kind. He's growing you in gentleness. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Kurt, as I look here, I don't see gentleness in this passage. So where are you getting this idea that that rejoicing grows us in gentleness? And it's found in this word reasonableness. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Your reasonableness should be known in the church to all people and to people all outside of the church as well. Reasonableness. The Greek word translated there actually means gentle, kind, considerate. So you can understand how the word reasonable kind of covers that that whole thing. There's no need to fight. There's no need to demand your way. There's, There's no need to be quarrelsome, to seek revenge. We can be gentle. Why? Because I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I already know what I have in him. I don't have to fight for these things. Rejoicing in the Lord affords you a perspective to be patient. When you're wrong and you know that your hope is is already in the Lord, you don't have to fight that person who wronged you. Have you ever noticed That people who are filled with joy, people who are actively rejoicing are really easy to get along with. This is why I think when you go to a restaurant and they mess up something by accident, that they give you that meal for free or they'll be like, here's a free dessert. Because you're like, free dessert? Everything is forgiven. And (laughs) right? Like you're just, you're celebratory. Why? Because you're joyful. They know if we can make you happy, this tension, this heat, this anger that we had, that subsides. And the same is true of us, whether we're at a restaurant or we're, we're having tension in relationships or difficulties in other situations. If we could find our joy 
Christian, in the Lord, you will be more gentle. Notice that that Paul in verse five says, the Lord is at hand, right? Let your reasonableness, let your gentleness be known to everyone. And the very next sentence, he says, the Lord is at hand, meaning the Lord is, is near. And I think Paul is trying to mean it in two ways. He's near, right? He's, he's close. He says he, he's near us, right? He draws close to us, but he's also near in time as well. He is coming soon, but he's also with you now. You can bear almost anything. Some of you, some of you know, a couple weeks ago, we sent our, our oldest son away to boot camp. And I, I kept reiterating to him, they have to feed you. <laughs> so if in your mind, you can just think, I can make it to the next meal. You can bear through anything. They have to feed you. At least right now, right? But like, if we could just think like, I can get through this. This is just a momentary. This is, this is just for a short time. God is coming. It's only a hundred years. If you're lucky, you might be able to live. You can get through it. And you can be gentle. And you can be kind. And you can be joyful But it doesn't just change us to just rejoice. Rejoicing doesn't just help us to be gentle. Rejoicing brings about reconciliation. You see that here. These these two women who are named here were likely influential mainstays within the church at Philippi. We don't know what the conflict was about. We don't know why they they were... they were fighting each other or they were arguing with each other. But Paul reminds them and he reminds the whole church, don't cast these ladies out. These women worked with me side by side, laboring with me for the sake of the gospel. Their names are written in the book, he says. They're genuine believers. There's conflict, but they're believers. You see what Paul's doing here? He's pointing everybody, these two women, he's pointing the church, he's pointing to whoever this this fellow yokesman might be. He's pointing them all to Christ. He's pointing them to the gospel. Set your eyes on this. Remember these things. Why? Because he's done it already numerous times. Keep your finger in there, but if you flip over to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27... Paul wrote this to them. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then in chapter two, verses one through five, again, he reiterates this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, Surely there is. If there's any comfort from love, of course there is. If there's any participation in the spirit, if you're a Christian, you have the spirit, of course there is. If there's any of affection and, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's almost like he's been priming the pump the whole time. But we forget, don't we? We forget these things, don't we? Sometimes we need to come to the word of God and be reminded of who we have when we have Christ. And that would, if we would rejoice in him, that would produce a gentleness in us. And then we would look at the relationships we have and we'd see conflict, we'd see tension. And we would say, why am I holding this against you when Christ has already forgiven me of so much more? He comes to me gently and lowly and humbly as a servant. And I am thinking, you must do this for me and then I will forgive you. I will be kind to you. Beloved, sometimes we forget these things and we need God to bring another sister or brother in the faith to us to help us reconcile I do want to point out that this person comes humbly. They don't come to meddle. They're not trying to create division. They're not trying to create more conflict. They're not gossiping about it. They are coming to the two parties, seeking to guide and lovingly. Paul says, entreat them. Entreat them. Not just the one, but the other. Treat them both. Come gently, lovingly, passionately, pleading. You are sisters in the Lord. Surely you can find your hope and salvation in Christ and not getting your way. Lead them. Where do we lead them? We lead them back to Christ. We lead them back to the truths of the gospel so that seeing that, remembering that, that they would be transformed and they would come back to one another and be reunited. Rejoicing in the Lord grows gentleness. Rejoicing in the Lord brings about reconciliation, but rejoicing in the Lord also overcomes anxiety. Rejoicing the Lord overcomes anxiety. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. Again, notice that that's stated right after Paul says the Lord is at hand. So what is anxiety? Well, if you look it up, you can get a really long psychological answer and I've kind of boiled that down to a short one. So this is kind of the psychological definition Anxiety is a mental condition characterized by excessive apprehensiveness about real or perceived threats, typically leading to avoidance behaviors and often to physical symptoms such as an increased heart rate or muscle tension. But the real issue, the real problem, the real flaw with anxiety is trust. Anxiety is a lack of trust which causes fear. That's what anxiety is. I realize some of you might be thinking, I'm not an anxious person. To which I might say, 
Do you bristle when things maybe start to slide out of your favor? That's anxiousness. Do you push to get your way? That, that's kind of like an underlining anxiety. Because if you don't get what you want, life will be broken. Are you quarrelsome? Are you vengeful? Why? Why are you these things? It's because you don't trust. It's because you fear what might happen. So how do we deal with anxiety? Why is it wrong? Because anxiety states that God and his authority is not as powerful as he says he is. What does anxiety accomplish? Nothing. Why should we not be anxious? Because Jesus said so, right? That's even better than your parents. Don't do that. Why? Because Jesus said so. Flip over to Matthew, Matthew uh, chapter six. Look at these words of Jesus. This is a beautiful description. Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Was it 25 to 34? I know this is long, but I, I think this is, is a great, great thing. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 25, even though I don't think we, do we have that? There it is. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and how neither they toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is it. And its own troubles. Can you imagine after reading that? Have you thought about this? I, I, I heard another pastor talking about this. If you could, if, if birds could actually have conversations like in English language, the birds would look at us and all our fear and all of our anxiety and they would say, why are these people so worried? Why are they do they not know who God is like we do, right? I mean, we're birds. We worship the Lord. He's the creator. We can trust him in all things. Do not be anxious, Christian. Your life with God is assured. Paul 
Paul gives us the solution here. How do we overcome it? Paul says in verse six, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We replace anxiety with prayer. Do we pray, church? Do we, do we cast our burdens? Do we come with our needs? Do we come with our position, uh, p- petitions? Do we come to the Lord saying, I can't fix these things? But you can. Do we come to the Lord saying, these are all of the problems I have. These are all the things I'm scared of. Help me not to be. Because often, God doesn't fix the problem, but he gives us the strength to go through it. And notice that it's prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You could almost say prayer and supplication with rejoicing. Because if we remember who God is, if we remember what he has done, we can go in all of these circumstances and know, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I can trust you because I've seen all the things that you have done. I see what you are doing in my life right now, and I know the promises that are already mine because they're in you. There's freedom in those things. There's an ability to overcome anxiety when we rejoice In the Lord, when we cast all our things to him in prayer as redeemed ones, we have the ear of God. Again, I go back to Romans. I already read my favorite verse from there, Romans 33. But look at this whole section. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Think about the things you fear, ready? Think about all the things you might fear. Think about all the things you're anxious about. Look at what Paul says here. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I'm sure of this, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor power nor height nor depth nor Anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't know what you're anxious about, but it's probably in that list. And God is sufficient to overcome all of these things. Rejoice in the Lord. If you are anxious, praise his name. your anxieties will decrease as he increases. Rejoicing in the Lord produces gentleness, that loving, kind, reasonableness. And let me challenge you, friends, as you look at your life, if you responded with this rejoicing-produced gentleness, would not your life and the life of others around you be more peaceful? 
If you rejoice in the Lord, it brings about reconciliation, that humbly surrendering yourself that puts the gospel and the glory of God first so that relationships can be repaired. Again, friends, consider your life. If you pursued reconciliation, would there not be more peace in your life? If rejoicing in the Lord helps us to overcome anxiety, that lack of trust that causes us to fear, if your life was filled with less anxiety, less fear, wouldn't it be more peaceful for you and those around you? Friends, the guardian of true peace is joy in the Lord. If you want peace, It grows through joy. Joy is the outflow of your faith when you look to God in all circumstances. We rejoice in the Lord and you will find the peace of God, Paul says here in Philippians, you will find the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Who doesn't want peace? Note that Paul says this peace is of God, we try to find peace in so many things, and Paul is telling you, it's here in the Lord. Listen to the words of Jesus from John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them Be afraid. What's this peace that he has? It's the peace he had with God the Father. Christ was so assured of his relationship with his Father, he could face everything. Even as he is praying in the garden, if there is a way, if there is a possibility that you could take this cup away from me, but notice what his reply is. Not my will be done, but yours. And then he goes and does it. You you could say, I'm going to tread gently here. There's some anxiety in Christ at the moment. But notice that he's praying. And then he trusts. Not my will. And then he experiences an excruciating death. And you could say he actually did it with joy. The peace of God is first and foremost about the restoration of your relationship with God. If you're not right with God, you will never have the peace of God. If you don't have the peace of God, you won't manifest this God-glorifying gentleness. You won't work to to reconcile relationships. You won't be gentle. Why? Because you're going to fight, you're going to bite, and you're going to work and kick to get your way because you think joy is found in those things. When there's peace with God, this vertical peace, it manifests horizontally with others. I don't have enough time, but right, if you're writing notes, check out Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 18. Look at that later. But note here that I, I, love, I love what Paul says here about this peace. The peace of God surpasses all understanding. I think often we think we can concoct the solutions or the answers to the things that we're anxious about. 
yet the peace of God manifests in a way that we can't even comprehend. Have you ever planned, you, you're worried about something, and you, you, you plan, and you, 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 you think through, okay, if this happens, I'm going to do this, and these, and all these other things, and then the situation comes, and you have peace through all of it, yet none of it worked out the way that you had planned? It's almost as if the peace of God surpasses all understanding. I thought it was going to play out this way, and if it did this way, then everything would be fine, but it didn't play out that way, yet I had peace amidst that storm. I pray that we would have this peace. Why? Because this peace functions. Paul says guards, literally that word is garrisons. It garrisons your heart and mind. Notice how that sentence ends. In Christ Jesus. We have to go, we have to look, we have to turn to, we have to set our gaze upon Christ. The peace that guards our hearts, it guards your feelings, it guards your emotions. This peace of God guards your minds, it guards your thoughts, it guards the way you think about things. We need this peace. We need this peace to reign over these aspects of our life because when our heart runs and when our mind runs, it seems to run away from God instead of to him. But when we peacefully trust in the Lord because we are rejoicing in him again and again and again, notice where our heart stays. It abides in Christ. The pursuit of true peace really is about the pursuit of Jesus. This is why Paul says numerous times in this brief letter, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Because when we rejoice in the Lord, we'll have peace. And it will manifest in so many awesome ways. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us to rejoice in the Lord. Lord, all of us want to find pursuits. Uh, uh, All of us want to pursue after joy. All of us want peace. We don't want relational conflict. We don't don't want troubles and trials and tribulations. We We don't want these things. But help us to understand that the promises that we have in Christ is not that our life will be easy. but that when we have Christ, we have God. And that we can have peace amidst the storms of life. That we can have reason to give thanks and gratitude in all circumstances because these things will never take you away from us. You've promised never to leave us. You've promised never to abandon us. In fact, you promised to meet us wherever we are. Let us find joy in Christ Jesus. Not because of the things he gives us, but because our heart sings songs of delight and gladness because we have him. Let us rejoice in the Lord always. Let us not forget. Let us be reminded. Let us be encouraged to come again and again. Because the joy found in him never grows old, never gets tarnished, and is more than sufficient. 
to help us in all things. So we pray this in our Jesus, in our Savior's name, in our joy's name. Thank you, Pastor Kurt. Will you stand and let us sing in gratitude for that peace, regardless of what happens and whatever comes.
If you want this joy in the Lord, the reality is it is only found when you have put your life and your faith and your hope in Christ Jesus. So if you don't know who Jesus is as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would come talk to me and come talk to one of the other pastors or elders or the care teams that will be up here here to, to pray with you, whether it's for that or something else that you need. Maybe you're feeling anxiety. Maybe you're de- dealing with relational difficulties. All those things. We want to pray with you for that. I want to help you through those things. And I want to remind you, I am not saying that if you would just rejoice in the Lord, life will be filled with sunshine and rainbows. I'm going to send you out. Listen, listen to these words from David. From Psalm 13, there's reality, there's pain, there's these things, but look what he does. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. That is our God. Let us rejoice in him and find the peace that only he can provide. Have a blessed week, church. Thank you.